So we are wrapping up our conversation that is basically a study of these opening few verses of John's biography of Jesus. And uh, as we've as we've been in this uh, Advent study, uh, we may have kind of said, "Well, where's all the familiar Christmas material? Where's where's all the things that we're used to hearing at Christmas time? The the shepherds, the wise men, the the star, the angels, Mary and Joseph. Where are those things? John doesn't have them. John has this totally different perspective in the world, um, uh, uh, of the world that he uses." Um, to describe for us basically the same story that the other evangelists have in the different biographies of Jesus. John's is just coming at it from a different perspective. This is the season of Advent. This is actually the last Sunday in Advent, so we're going to be concluding our Advent study today. But uh, Advent is the time in the, the church year when we remember that something is coming. And uh, Christmas is actually kind of a footnote to that. What we're doing during Advent is we're looking forward to the second coming of Jesus. And the reason we celebrate Christmas is to remind us that God is faithful, that when God promises something, even though centuries take place between the the giving of the promise and its fulfillment, God is faithful. That just as he promised a Messiah to Israel and Jesus came, so we can trust that God will be faithful and come again. So that's why we spend our Advent time looking at these opening few verses of the different biographies of Jesus to remind ourselves God is faithful to keep his promises. But it's kind of hard with John because he's just not working off the same page as the others. John is different. John has this philosophical viewpoint, and we've spent the last couple of weeks looking at the way John engages the popular philosophies of his day. We we spent our first uh, week of this series looking at the way John engaged a philosophy that was common in the ancient world and is is exceedingly common today. Uh, today we don't call it by its name. It's Epicureanism. And it's the idea that there's really nothing out there that matters to us except what we see. It's what you see, what you get kind of world, that that stuff happens and then you die. You You make the best of your life. You try to have as much fun as you can. You try to avoid as much pain as you can. And that's pretty much it. That is the Epicurean outlook. It's still popular today. Um, that if there are gods, they don't have anything to do with us. That's that's the the conversation that John begins with, and he says, "No, the universe actually makes sense. There's a, a, a wisdom and understanding and reason and purpose behind the universe." So John talks about the logos, this this uh, explanation, this this cosmic uh, sense that the universe actually reveals. So John begins there, but then he proceeds. He says. He says to people who believe that, well, yes, the universe makes sense. There's there's kind of some cosmic uh, beauty and and order, um, and they start sounding very ethereal and new age. But actually, it's not new. There's nothing new about this viewpoint. It's basically the Stoic viewpoint. It's the idea that that yes, there's kind of sense to the universe. It makes some sense, but it's just a positive, benign power that pervades the universe. It's it's kind of an energy that you can tap into, and if you align your life with it then you'll have a better life. And if you work uh, at cross-purposes with it, then you'll have a worse life. And that's basically a Stoic viewpoint. Again, it sounds to our ears today like a New Age kind of perspective, but it's actually very old, has a distinguished pedigree. All the great philosophers talked about it. And John says, no, the the philosophy that I'm talking about isn't just some kind of positive, benign 
force that operates in the universe. He said, the, the, what I'm talking about is a person, someone who has expectations, someone who makes demands and grants favors. John says, I'm talking about a God. So John says, I have a religious viewpoint. And in the ancient world, as we saw, that raised all kinds of questions. Well, which God are you talking about? Are you talking about Jupiter or Zeus or Athena or whoever the different gods were? What sacrifices do they demand? What rituals do they expect you to obey? And John, as we saw, said, I want to tell you about this God who is God the Son, the eternal word who is God the Son. But at this point, we are, we're, we're, we're pretty sure we know where the conversation's going. We think we know where John is headed. And actually today we do know, but, but I want you to suspend your disbelief for a minute or suspend your belief for a moment. Um, and imagine you were one of John's early uh, hearers because John kind of pulls the rug out from underneath us. He spent um, only a few verses, but he's been grappling with some big ideas. The reason he's been grappling with the big ideas is because these ideas are, they, they matter. Philosophy matters. You know, we, we may not think so. We may think philosophy was that one class we took in college and we kind of faked our way through it and, you know, we'll never go back again. Thank you very much. Uh, maybe that's our perspective on philosophy, but philosophy matters. Everybody has a philosophy. Some of us, our philosophy of life is YOLO, right? Yes, it's stupid. Yes, it's dangerous, but you only live once. So here goes. Uh, people have a philosophy that is YOLO. And it matters. It matters because, you know, you may not see your next sunrise if YOLO is your philosophy. So you may live once and for a very short time. People have philosophies and they matter. Maybe your philosophy, maybe you know people whose philosophy is might makes right. The law of the jungle. Whoever's, whoever's got the, the most gold makes the rules or however that works. People have different philosophies and they matter. Some of us have a philosophy that the strong should take care of the weak. Others say, no, the weak should serve the strong. Philosophy really matters. That's why John starts there. And religion matters even more. Maybe not everybody has a religion. I think most people have some kind of religion, whether they acknowledge it or not. But a lot of people do. And the best things in the world come from religion. Unfortunately, so do the worst things in the world. You know, I mentioned Aleppo, right? You've, you, you've seen the news. You know what's going on. In, well, we, we don't know what's going on. What we do know is horrifying. And the people who drop barrel bombs, the people who commit atrocities in the name of religion do so because philosophy matters and religion matters. And so John starts there. And when we're primed, when we're ready to say, okay, John, all right, you're so smart, tell me what philosophy I should have. All right, John, tell me what religion I should have. John pulls the rug out from underneath us. John says, all right, let's stop. I've started with philosophy. I've started with religion. But I'm going to do something you're not expecting. He says, right now we're in the department of philosophy, the department of religion. What I want you to do is I want you to follow me because we're going to walk down the stairs, we're going to go across the quad, and we're going to enter that building over there that's the Department of History. Because John says, the Word became flesh and dwelled among us. John says, the Word became flesh and dwelled among us. Now, for people in the ancient world, that presented not one but two mysteries where they could just kind of go, I don't even get that. The first one is the Word becoming flesh. 
that's a crazy idea. That's a crazy idea for people in the ancient world because the world's a mess. And if the gods are good, what would they have to do with a messy world? And so what, what most ancient religions said is the supreme god, the, you know, the Jupiter, whoever he was, the, the supreme god of all, he created subsidiary gods, secondary gods, and told them to go make the world because he wouldn't have anything to do with matter. Crude, ugly matter, icky, icky matter, no, no thank you very much. So the thought that the word, the cosmic rational principle would have anything to do with flesh was startling to the ancient world. Even if you could somehow imagine, how would it fit in there? I mean, this this thing created the universe. How could it fit inside the universe? Much less, how could it fit inside one person's flesh? So there's a mystery right there. They go, John, I'm you're blowing my mind successfully here. I'm not getting you. But John says, don't race off to that metaphysical question about uh, universe and and rationality and and gods and demiurges and all that layers of being. He says, hold on a second. Before you get there, focus on the word became. He says, the word became flesh. See, Christianity is not a religion. Christianity is not a philosophy. Christianity engages religion. Christianity engages philosophy. But the Christian movement is and always has been a historical movement. It's telling the story of something that happened at a defined point in time and place. The Word became flesh. The Christian movement is grounded in history rather than philosophical reasoning or religious belief. So John is trying... John is trying to surprise us, and he he should have. Unfortunately, we've heard this through 2,000 years of filtering, and so we kind of know the story and we kind of assume we know what's going on. But again, hear it through that first century audience. Imagine hearing it for the first time. He says, he was in the world, I'm sorry, uh, he says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. This is not the John who wrote our uh, biography here, the the biography of Jesus uh, called John. There's a different John. We call him John the Baptist. And today he's kind of an obscure figure. Uh, people don't know as much about him as they would like to. In the ancient world, he was actually better known than Jesus. People from outside the Holy Land would have heard of John the Baptist. Um, they would have said, yes, I heard about him. And there's, there's various reasons for that. Uh, Jesus ministered in Galilee. John was more in a high, more highly populated, highly visible area. But John the Baptist, people had heard about. And John, our John, is saying, Go talk to someone who met John, the other John. Go talk to them and ask them what John was talking about. And they'll tell you, this is what John said. He came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming to the world. He says, first of all, go see somebody. Go meet somebody who has who who met John, somebody who's heard what John said. John said, I'm telling you about something that's about to happen. He says, so that's one reason you should believe me, John, when I show up in your town and tell you about the word becoming flesh. He says, that's the first reason. But there's another reason, and it's kind of counterintuitive. He says this. He says, he, Jesus, the, the word we're talking about, he was in the world, 
and the world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. He says, he says, this is why you've heard of John the Baptist and you haven't heard about Jesus, because they accepted John. It was, it was a Gentile who killed John. It was uh, the Herod, Herod the uh, king had John killed. But Jesus was rejected by his own people. He says, this is how Jesus ministered. He said, if you're suspicious, if you're cynical, if you're kind of raising one eyebrow right now and saying, yeah, the word doesn't become flesh, that's silly talk, John. He says, none of us believed it either. He says, the one thing that you have in common as a skeptic with every single follower of Jesus is that none of us believed it either. He says, some of us had hopes. In fact, in this same chapter, he's going to go on and tell about two of John the Baptist's disciples who were some of Jesus' earliest followers. They had hopes. They had hopes all the way to the day Jesus died on the cross, and their hopes died when Jesus died. Everybody doubted Jesus. And he says, but here we are. Something convinced us. Something convinced us. You know what that was? An event in history when we went looking for a body and we found a live man. We saw him die and he was raised. And what did he do? So, um, number two, Jesus was prophesied by John the Baptist and he was abandoned. He was rejected. He was disbelieved by his own disciples. But he says he had mercy on us. He showed us to him. And he says, but to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God who were born not of the blood or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. He says, he says, Jesus did something. Jesus achieved something by dying and being raised. Jesus did something amazing. He said, he made us children of God. He reconnected us to God. Instead of being fugitive slaves trying to hide from our master, we have become children with all the rights and privileges that come entry into the household of the family of the children of God. He says, that's what Jesus did. Jesus reconnected us to God. He says, the word became flesh and lived among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of his father's only son. He says, because we have, we have been reconnected to God from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. We've all received this. All we have to do is believe it's there and it is. He says, the law, the law, the the philosophical frameworks, the, the moral and ethical codes, that we follow, the religious beliefs we practice. They couldn't do something. They came from Moses. They came from Moses. And we believe the one that came from Moses is true, but he says, truth isn't enough. Truth is not enough. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The law indeed was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So he says, Jesus did what the law could not do. And finally he says, Jesus reveals God the Father. He says, he says, no one has seen God. It is God the only Son who is close to the Father's heart, who has made him known. He says, we don't have to speculate. He says, I have seen him. I've seen him. I've touched him with my own hands. I've heard him with my own ears. He says, 
I'm not talking about some philosophical uh, uh, enlightenment that I achieved. I'm not talking about an inspiration I had. I'm talking about something as real as breakfast, something I touched with my own hands. And he says, Jesus revealed God. So that's how John begins his, his biography. He says, we're not talking about speculation. Speculation's great. Speculation's important. Everybody needs a philosophy. But he says, I'm not talking about a philosophy. I'm talking about a person who came, who lived, who died, who reconnected us to God. And from his grace, we have all received grace upon grace. So, what do we do with this? Let me invite you to do one thing between now and Christmas. Look at your own life. Look at your own life because John is making a claim here. He's making a claim and as you, as you evaluate what he's got to say, he's saying, we have all received grace upon grace. So look at your life and say to yourself, where have I received something I didn't deserve? Where did, if there's any cosmic justice, I would have gotten a different outcome. But I got grace. Look at your own life and say to yourself, where have I received grace upon grace upon grace? Because he says, that is a place where your life has been touched by Jesus. And he says something else. This is not a philosophy. People are, people cannot be expected to arrive at this through reasoning and through, through abstract thinking. He says, this is a historical movement. And so he invites us to stand in the tradition of John the Baptist, to stand in his own tradition, and to tell the people that we know how God has been a part of our life, to become witnesses of what God has done for us. Because Philosophy will only take you so far. Philosophy will never get you to Jesus. But a testimony from a witness may take you there. So this week, think about the places where God has given you grace. And then think of someone you know who maybe they are a Stoic, maybe they're an Epicurean, maybe they have some world religion, somebody who doesn't know that there's a God who loves them, who came to reconnect them to himself. And be John the Baptist. Tell them about the God you know. Let's pray. Loving and holy God, we give you thanks um, for revealing yourself in Jesus. Um, it's not that, that what we have learned in Jesus doesn't make sense. Uh, as C.S. Lewis told us, that... Um, we can believe in you not simply because uh, uh, we see you like the sun. It is by your light we see everything else. You make sense of everything else in the world. But we're not limited to philosophy and reasoning. There are people in our lives, our Sunday school teacher, our parents, there are people who were for us, John the Baptist, who told us, I have encountered Jesus. I have experienced grace in my life. Lord, we thank you for them. And we pray, Lord, you would help us to see in our own lives the places you have been at work, the places we have received grace. And I pray, Lord, you'd open our eyes so we may know who needs to be engaged, who has a philosophy or a, or a religion that lacks knowledge of your Son so we can stand as witnesses. We pray all these things through Christ our Lord. Amen.